If you ask most people, they'll probably say that we shouldn't live in fear. But sometimes, fear is a harsh reality for a lot of people. Like my guest today, Sean Dromgul, who publicly expressed his fear of being a black man walking alone in his neighborhood. A neighborhood that his family had lived in for over 50 years. But little did he know that expressing this feeling would lead him to being an activist that created a national movement. You're listening to We Need to Talk. We need to talk. Sean Drumgirl, thank you so much for being on We Need to Talk. I'm really excited to chat with you today. Thank you so much for having me, Melanda. Absolutely. So three years ago, you created this movement called We Walk with Sean, and that was derived from your fear of walking alone in your neighborhood due to your experience of living as a Black man in America, but also being a witness to seeing that bodies that look like you being unjustly harmed. And I know, especially 2020, that was a huge year for everybody really being aware of the things that we as Black people have been talking about for years and years and years. And this movement that you started, you've hosted you know, upwards of 100 walks across the country to bring people together. And I love when accidental activists come to be. Um, it's kind of how I feel about myself. But I know that it didn't initially start as a big movement and initiative. It was based out of fear. So how did it start? What happened was in May of 2020, um, I work in retail. Retail had closed. Um, and I had got a little chunky. Um, I am traditionally not a sneaker kind of person. Mm-hmm. Um, but I had decided I'm going to give me a pair of Nikes. I'm going to get two pair of Nikes and I'm going to go walk. Um, so I ordered, I mean, literally created a Nike account um, and got me two pair of sneakers, a pair of hot pink ones and a pair of lime green ones. Um, the colors are just hilarious. But that's what I got. Um, and I was, so they came on a Monday and I'm like, I'm going to go walking tomorrow. Let's go walking. And I walked out on my front porch. It's not that far from my front door. It's like it's a, it's a short distance. And there was like a bubble that stopped me from walking any further. Mm. And it was like, you would call it a, a panic attack now, but it felt like a force field. Like I couldn't do it. Mm. So I called my mom and I'm like, mom, I'm scared. I don't want to go walking. I don't think I can do it. I can do it. Now I am at this point, 29, uh, two months away from being 30. Um, what grown man needs to call their mom and tell them they're scared? Like, this doesn't make any mm-hmm. logical sense. And she's like, yeah. and my mother, like most um, black mothers, go told me to go to bed. She said, go to bed and try again tomorrow. And I'm like, yeah, like, oh, okay. I'm, I'm scared enough of my mom to do that. Um, and so I went to bed. The next day I got up and I was going to do it again. I had on my lime green sneakers and I was going, or did I wear the pink bottom? It was one of them two pair. Um, but I'm like, I'm going to go walking. Let's go walking. We're going to do this. And I have a panic attack again. Mm. And I called her and I said, Mom, I can't do it. I'm scared. I don't want to die. I don't want to. There was already kind of the buzz of George Floyd. I think I can't breathe and become a hashtag. But the hashtag was popular before the story. And so right. if, and, and this is going to sound really ridiculous and insensitive. But when I posted, I can't breathe, I thought we were talking about COVID. So my mom's like, you know what? Give me 30 minutes and we're going to go walking. And I'm like, okay. And so me and her went walking. Now, in my neighborhood growing up, my whole immediate family lived within a five-block radius. My maternal, great, my maternal great-grandparents, my paternal great-grandparents, my grandmother's sisters, 
um, all lived. I could walk to anybody's house at 8 o'clock, 9 o'clock at night and go get some more dinner because I was a teenage boy back in the day. It was safe. Um, so we walked past everybody's house laughing and giggling. It was me and my mom. It was the best walk. Um, and I, I had already, because I'm 30, lived past Trayvon Martin. There yeah. were security measures I always took to go walking, period. So I kept my phone, and I was always on the phone, and I kept my ID to prove that I lived in the neighborhood. Even though if somebody decided they were going to kill me, they were going to kill me anyway. But at least they would know. Some if I I was on the phone when I walked, so someone would hear me. Yeah. Um, yeah, which are extra steps that you as a black man have to right. take. Right, it's it's goofy. Like to me, it doesn't make it's sad, but it's true. I walked on my yeah. phone and I walked with my ID, but I still so even with my mother, I had the security process. So when we got home, my mother made a Facebook post and it was like, "I'm mad. I'm tired. My son, I should not be having to walk my thirty almost thirty year old son." And when she wrote it, something in me jumped. And I wrote a post hmm. on Facebook. And I was like, I've lived in this neighborhood for 30 years. My family's lived here for 54 years. Um, and I'm afraid to walk in my neighborhood. And that's literally the, the just of the post. It's not a profound post, but I know for certain one thing about that post that it does not say, it does not say, please walk with me. Hmm. I did not ask anyone to do anything. I also didn't accuse anyone of anything. I just shared yeah. how I felt. Um, yeah, and so I posted on Facebook, right? Clicks in, and I promise you, I heard the voice of God like thunder and lightning, but it wasn't a scream, it was like posted on next door. I'm like, no, because <laughs> next door would be wild and out, and literally, that was it. That was exactly my opinion. I'm like, God, do you yeah. know what they say about people like me on next door? I'm having a logical, this is a real like Bible Job conversation with God, and God was like, do it anyway. And I'm like, hmm. Okay. And I, I for some reason it I didn't argue the second time I'm like, okay, I deleted my mother's last name, like her, her whole name, because her whole name was on her post, it was her whole Facebook name. Cause I tagged her in mm-hmm. the post. And um I deleted it and I just copied and pasted and put it on next door and I went and took a shower. By the time I took a shower, which wasn't a long shower, it might have been fifteen minutes at the most, there were thirty responses with neighbors who were mostly white. Going, oh my God, you can't be scared. I'm so sorry. I walk with you. Oh my God. And I'm going, uh, like, I'm okay. But so on Facebook, now that's what's happening on next door. On Facebook, three there were three responses. One from my first boss, who was a, a nonprofit. I worked for a business nonprofit. Um, her when I was a teenager, my music teacher from high school, and my mother had conspired to have a walk the next day. They were going to go walking with me because I was not allowed to be scared anymore. So we agreed to meet. Well, the next day, we're um, getting ready. Um, I remember I didn't have athletic clothes, but something told me my life was going to change. I I promise I don't know what that was. But I went to Macy's, my first real retail job. And I told you I bought a pink pair of shoes and a lime green pair of shoes, right? On the clearance rack in the front of the Macy's, there was a lime green shirt, a lime green Nike shirt, and and pair of pants. It would cost me thirty four dollars and ninety seven cents. That was the total, but that was literally I had like thirty nine dollars in the bank because I hadn't got my unemployment check yet. So I spent my last money on my Nike outfit, and then got ready to go to the walk. I remember. So as a snarky, offhanded remark, I posted on next door. 
well, if y'all want to come walking with me, walk, if y'all want an association by walking with me, meet me at blah, blah, blah at six o'clock tomorrow or today. Not even tomorrow because it was today. And, mm-hmm. uh, but it was a snarky, it was not, it was me being fully black and angry. It was not me being, <laughs> yeah. oh, let's be kumbaya. I was angry. And I was like, mm-hmm. if y'all, I'm sick of y'all's white. I'm sick mm-hmm. of the white. I'm sick of all this. I'm tired. Um, but so I'm like, okay, whatever. So I, I go home, change clothes, put on the sneakers, put on the shirt, put on the sweatpants, which is not me. I'm literally wearing what I would wear on a dress down day right now, like a blazer. And this is me regular. So I like stripped all of me off and put on this hoodie and or this t-shirt and this sweatpants. My grandmother looked at me and she said, I'm glad you have on that lime green shirt. This is the last thing I remember walking out of the house that day. She said, I'm glad you have on that lime green shirt because when they kill you, we'll be able to identify your body. Mm. And I remember going, I didn't argue with her. My grandmother, she's 80 now. She was 77 then. Emmett Till was in her teenage years. Yeah. Like Martin Luther King was in her teenage years. And I don't think we, it's still, we're not even thinking, but this is just normal. I'm going on a walk. We pull up to the restaurant where we were supposed to meet. And I'm expecting, I remember somebody saying, my stepfather was like, how many people, he has this really annoying cadence of his voice. How many people do you think are going to walk? I said, maybe 10. There was 75 people in that parking lot. And I have no plan. There's no plan on where we're going to walk. At this point, at this moment, I get out of a car and I am now an activist. I'm responsible. I have to do something. I pull out my phone, I go Facebook Live. I probably go on Facebook Live probably 10 times in my entire life. That was the first time. And I'm like, look at these people, y'all. Look at my neighbors. Like, I, I was so overwhelmed. And I start walking. I dart to the only place I knew. The restaurant was at the top of a hill. And I was going to walk to the neighborhood park. And that's like a two point, the total walk was 2.43 miles. Um, and I walked to the park. Um, we snapped a picture. Everybody's in the ass. Now, the thing about the picture was that there are mostly, because I live in a highly gentrified neighborhood, the people in the picture don't look like me. Mm. Um, and so, which becomes a problem later on, but nobody looked like me. There were black people in that picture, but they it's not a lot of them. Because the people who came out, because the neighborhood the next door showed it to, because I live in a gentrified community, my neighbors are legitimately white. And wealthy. Yeah. Um, just who my neighbors are. Um, my grandmother paid twelve thousand dollars for her house. Now my neighbors paid a million for theirs, but it doesn't matter. It's just what it is. <laughs> um, yeah. And I went, and so we did. The, we snapped the picture. We walked back, and that was the end. By the time I got home, I had hundreds of comments. People were like, "Oh my god, I missed it! Oh my god, I missed it!" Um, local news, local CBS, and local Fox emailed me and said, they tried to get in contact, can we do an interview with you tomorrow? And I'm like, I guess. Why? <laughs> like, why are we, it didn't hit me. We did it, yeah. and I went and got a haircut, because I didn't even have a haircut. Um, my self-care, my personal self-care is getting a haircut. Um, and so I went to get a haircut the next day. I, that's what I was going to do, but I did the local News Channel 5 interview. And I did the local Fox News interview. In my front yard and at the park, I'll never forget the... Um, I tease him now. His name is Levi Ismael. He's a local um, reporter. 
that was had just moved here from Minneapolis. And I remember, I think I'd realized Joyce Floyd died because I asked him a question. I said, how are you doing watching your hometown burning? And so we, as black men, two black men, which I think that's the reason why the story hit, two black men were having this story. And he asked me a question. I can't remember the question, but he said, what do you, what are you going to do? I said, I'll do it for the rest of my life if I have to. I'm not thinking. There's no thesis. There's no meeting. There's no plan. I just said it in an interview day two. I'll do this for the rest of my yeah. life. I want people to feel comfortable walking in that community. Two days later, or that was Friday, that was a Friday. Saturday, People Magazine called me and the Washington Post. And I was dumb enough and Southern enough to answer. Like, and talk and tell my story. But I'm not thinking anything about it. I'm just thinking we're telling the story. I love the trajectory of how you just felt literally, well, you walked your way into activism literally. truthfully. And it wasn't, it wasn't the plan. It wasn't the intent. You just, as a black man in America, given everything that has happened from Ahmaud Arbery to George Floyd, I mean, we can go all the way back to Trayvon Martin and just seeing the buildup of this being a continuous pattern you were just scared. But what I do love about this, and I would love to know if how if conversations have maybe erupted on these walks, but I do love that people did show up. And whether they're, you know, they had the intent of, you know, wanting to be educated or wanting to be a part of trying to make a difference, it was the simple fact of like, one of our neighbors is scared. Let's go support right. him. And now it has become this initiative. And we're going to get into you creating a nonprofit in, in a little bit. But I would love to know, because your whole you said your family has been there for 54 years, which is, is amazing. At least. Actually, my family's probably been in, on this property we've been at now at this current time. It's 57 years. Wow. That's incredible. Um, my family, my, my family's lived in this neighborhood for longer than that. Mm, pieces of my mm. family have lived in this South National neighborhood for way longer than that. Um, yeah. Probably 65 years. Um, so what what was your experience like in that neighborhood before all of the, the Black Lives Matter movement started happening and before it even started becoming gentrified? Like, What was growing up in that area like for you as a Black man? Heaven. Family. Mm. Perfect. Like it wasn't, I mean, literally my neighborhood traditionally would have been scary for any white person to come in, but I was safe. There was a drug ring at the end of our street. Um, there were people who stole stuff. They never stole stuff from us. Um, I literally, my, um, so I live on a corner lot. The, the other corner, the family lived next to her was a Baptist widow, the widow of a Baptist preacher. She babysat my mom. She babysat me and my sister. I have literally spent every Christmas of my life with her. Um, mm. she's, she's, she's long gone. She's been gone, I think, 12, 11 years. But we still spent Christmas. I was just with her family on Sunday. We're family. And the neighborhood was literally family. I literally, I mean, my aunts, my grandma's sisters, I, my parents are only children, but my grandma had six, five siblings, or five sisters that all lived around the corner. They could, they were always here. My aunties were always around. It was family everywhere. You could play in the street. I could ride my bike. I could go see my great grandmother, um, two streets over. I could, it was magic. Christmas Day was going around the neighborhood hmm. and all the family's houses. Like I had a, you had to have an itinerary for my Christmas going around the neighborhood. <laughs> like it was magic. Like 
it was wonderful until probably the time I was 16 when mm-hmm. I realized I was black. I mean, I knew I was black. I couldn't hide. But I remember I was used to antiquing and going to yard sales and estate sales with my grandmother. And there was a, a new antique store. And I just went in there one day because I thought I was fully, fully able to. And the owner thought, it, I don't know how she thought I was going to steal the dining room table or anything. <laughs> there was nothing in there small enough for me to steal. Hmm. Literally, there was furniture. I just wanted to yeah. look at the antiques because that's what I was used to. Yeah, of course. And she freaked out and I had to call my grandmother to come and get me. You were 16, you I said? I was 16. Hmm. That's, I mean, that's a good amount of time ago. You know, you know, it's interesting, though, when you say that was when I realized I was black because you, 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 I feel like black people have two awarenesses of our identities. One with our family and our identity when like we realize we're black and it's like this sense of pride. But then we realize we're black mm-hmm. when you get into the real world and you view how people view blackness. Mm-hmm. And so it's interesting. I mean, we all, we all go through it. I don't care what version of black you are. We all go through that. So it's a shame that it happened to you in a place that was familiar and comfortable for you and something that you normally did and that was taken away from you. And I think it was weird. Now, my grandmother, who was, I promise you, she was the black version of Dor- is not she's very much alive, the black version of Dorothy Spornak from the Golden Girls. <laughs> like, that's her cadence, that's her character, that's yeah. her big... Um, so she didn't skip, she was like, she came and got me. But mm. it just changed something. But it wasn't, I don't think I even realized it. I knew I was black then, but I still kept moving. And then you add yeah. Trayvon Martin. And then you add, it's these building blocks of, no, it's, it's building blocks being removed from security. Mm. It's like my, yeah. the security I had was being removed. People started dying and white people started moving in. And on, on social media, people going, there's black people walking down the street. Um. First of all, Nashville We've has always a, been here. <laughs> Nashville has a very bad rap. Because what you see of Nashville, if you're not from Nashville and from familiar with Nashville, you look at the media presents white utopia as Nashville. Right. It ain't. It's not really, but that's what you see. So mm-hmm. if you buy your house online, which most people did from California or New York, or they buy these houses, they think they come to Whiteville. Mm-hmm. They don't think they're going to see a black person living in their neighborhood. And it's scary. Because mm-hmm. the media, the other thing that the media, the, the black people you've seen in the media are threatening, or thugs, or criminals, or they're celebrities. Or I can understand. I, I understand. I don't agree. I understand. So my question to you is, over the last three years, and you've done, like, I think it was like 100 walks or something almost that I, that I read. 106 now. 106, yes, get it. But what do you feel like you created now? Obviously, it was unintentional. You didn't know it was going to become what it has. But what do you feel like you've created for people that maybe they didn't have before? One thing I think, so very, on day one, the second, first walk, I'm there. I couldn't talk to everybody. Everyone was coming to support me. It's impossible yeah. for me to talk to 75 people at once. So what started happening was right. people talked to each other. And so I wasn't actually mm. talking to anybody. I was leading a walk. People behind me were talking and getting to know their neighbors. 
regardless of creed, sexuality, religious background, uh, socioeconomic status, people were talking. And that's what you heard. I call it the walk talk. Um, I, I, I coined that later, but it was like, it was a sound. So when the next walk, that second walk, a thousand people showed up at my front door, I said, what I need y'all to do is talk to each other. I can't, I would love to, but I can't talk to each other. I can't talk to everybody. I would love to. I would love to hug each and every one of y'all. I can't hug y'all because it's COVID. But please talk to your neighbors. Get to know somebody's story. So I think what we created was a place for people to talk and get to know each other. So while there were protests in Nashville simultaneously and 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 and, and, and riots in the country, which are important, you will never get me to catch me saying that don't riot. I'm not going to say it because rioting is the voice of the unheard. And a lot of people felt unheard. Mm. Yeah, But it's also necessary for people to talk. Screaming at each other works, but also talking to each other works too. Um, yes. So it's creating yes. a place. Yes. And I didn't realize really the power of what we did. I did it all the way to January 20, or 2021. Uh, and I didn't realize what the healing power was. I knew what we were doing. We had traveled a little bit. We'd been to DC. We'd been to... Um, Shaker Heights, we've been in a couple of uh, Brunswick, Georgia, which I think that was also a profoundly harsh moment. So Ahmad Aubrey, mm. backtracking a little bit, struck me because my family is from the coast of Georgia. My family reunions as a teenager and as a young man were in Brunswick. In fact, I had been in Brunswick December of 2019. One of my cousins died and I went to a funeral in Brunswick. I'm like, what if I ran down the wrong street? in Brunswick. That's me. Like Ahmad Abu is that's the one that makes it real. It's it's a sad story as a black man to read, but when it's in your neighborhood or your family's neighborhood, it's real. Um yeah. but we had done all those walks and we had probably done 30 or 40 walks. And then January 6th happened. And I am a history nerd, if I'm nothing else. I would watch the History Channel and MSNBC. I'm a political history nerd. I would watch it at nauseam. Don't ask me who Cardi B is. I don't know. You ask me who Rachel Maddow is, I can tell you a million things. Uh, or Lawrence, uh, Lawrence O'Donnell or, or or Al Sharp. You can tell me. I know. I can tell you. I can tell you random facts about them. Don't ask me who Beyonce is. What's her last single? I do not know. <laughs> like, And that's me being honest. But I remember laying yeah, that I was yeah. off on January 6th. For some reason, I wasn't at work. And I remember turning on the TV, oh, MSNBC, because my TV's on, watching this movie. Almost like people watch September 11th. Like, it did not look real to me. These these people are going near the Capitol. <laughs> no, 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 no. I just went to the Capitol. I was just there two months ago. What do you mean? And and you couldn't even get near the Capitol. Um, and I was hurting. I was angry. I started getting angry. But I also realized I had this platform. I, I got these walks. What can we do? It's January in Nashville. It ain't warm. And I said, hey, everybody meet me for a walk at the park on Sunday. 70 or 80 people came to the park. And I realized that we had the potential to have a healing, a place of healing. And a place of breathing and a place of talking to each other. That was what I I feel like that was my mandate from God. Like I may not be a protester, and I I, I should shied away from being an activist. But what I have is a place where people can heal and people can talk 
mm-hmm. and people can't breathe. We just a couple last month, late last month, had the shooting here in Nashville. What could I do? I have to do something. I'm an activist. Even though I signed, I didn't sign up for it. It was not my life plan. I wanted to be an administrative assistant. You just wanted to have yeah, exercise. Yeah, and even then, I, won't, I didn't <laughs> want to do that. I just got fat. But I wanted to be an administrative assistant for artists. Like, that was my mm-hmm. goal. Hmm. Um, but now I got to help these people heal. I'm responsible yeah. because once the thing is what... What I told Levi all of, three years ago was like, what do you do when a, a movement is handed to you? I was handed a movement. I was bequeathed a movement. And the day before my 30th birthday, John Lewis died. And mm. it made me sick. Because I knew then I had to do something. I don't have the luxury to think about being black. You understand this. is We're responsible. I'm responsible for a lot of legacies. Um, First of all, when you think of the history of Nashville, there's Diane Nash and, and John Lewis, for real, and, 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 and um, Reverend Lawson, and, and, and Dr. King came to Nashville to get inspiration from the movement. He, well, he didn't come to Nashville to start a movement. There was already one happening when he got here to see what was happening. Um, I am yeah. monumentally responsible for that. It is my legacy as a Nashvillian. Um, to do something as a, as a black person to do something. I, I gotta do it. I don't like, I didn't like it. I still, but it's my responsibility. I don't get a choice, but they didn't have a choice either. Something had to be changed. I have to fight for the next generation. Yeah. I can't, it's not about me. It's so not about me. Yeah. So in the conversations that you've had in your walk talks, have you been surprised one that if people have expressed that they didn't understand or something that they didn't know, because for example, we know growing up in black households, we know about the talk. We know about those conversations and, you know, our parents tell us how to act, how to be, how to be safe. And that's just not something that is a common conversation in white households. So in your sharing your personal stories, or maybe for the black people that have shown up for those walks and they've shared their personal stories, have people been surprised to hear what reality is for you as a black person in America? I think, yes. They're also surprised that I'm not angry. I think that's the biggest shock mm. to me. People are like, you're not mad. I'm like, no, I ain't got time. First of all, I learned a long time ago, anger will kill you quicker <laughs> than anything else. So me being Oof. mad at you ain't gonna help Preach. me. I choose joy. Yeah. But also, what I also learned was people are shocked, but there are also a lot more similarities. That's what you learn. You think that everyone, no. Yeah. Like, white people go, I don't have white privilege. You do. And my argument to white privilege is, and I've got black privilege. If you want a fish sandwich, you want me to go to North Nashville and get it for you. I recommend you not take your, you might not want to do it. I mean, that's just, we have privilege <laughs> and we should use our privileges to help each other. That was the conversation. In fact, one of the most yes. profound moments on a walk was, I was in a, a neighborhood that's not too far from my house, and I, but I'd never been over there on the other side of the railroad tracks, um, literally. Um, I'd never been over there. And I went to, they invited me to do a walk, and we're doing the walk, and some of my regulars came with me, so the regulars from came across the bridge, or, yeah, and said, hey, we'll come. And we were doing the walk, and in the middle of the walk, I was the only black person on that walk, I remember, because my mother and my, girl, my godmother were trailing us, actually shooting pictures from the car, because my godmother's, Sciatica was acting up. I don't remember what was wrong. But I was the only black person present outside. And what happened 
was in the middle of the walk. The host of the walk, the person who was walking with me, telling me how to guide the walker, how to, was like, and over there's the plantation. Or over there's the plantation. And you know that I can't, the other thing we can't do is black people react. I can't, I can't react. And my face probably dropped, my jaw dropped. But there was an executive from a local insurance, or the general insurance, I'll never forget his name, I won't say his name. But, and he looked at me, he said, I heard that. And it's a white man, big white man. He said, I heard that shine. He said, don't worry, I'll handle her. That was out of control. Because mm-hmm. what makes you think it's cool or cute to tell the black man on a walk that a plantation is over there? That don't make no sense, it's stupid. It's you think it's awareness. the Annabella Mansion. I'm thinking the only people I saw over there were my people. And growing up yeah. in the South, what you really, yeah. in my neighborhood, what's crazy is there are probably, within a 20-minute walk, five former plantations. The park that I start my hmm. walks at. The grocery store I shop at. The neighborhood Kroger's is on a plantation. The university, wow. Belmont University down the street is a plantation. Bellmead plantation where the famous race sources are from is down the street from my house they're not far and i think people don't realize that i had a conversation with a, a librarian it was a black man i'm not supposed to talk about this because it just hurts his feelings that he did it but he dogged me out he was from new york and he's on a, he said he did a podcast years three years ago talking about me and appeasing white people and i'm like you don't know what i'm talking about you're from new york you don't you'll never understand what it means to be a southern black man so you're insensitive to my mm. experience because you don't know. But let me show you this plantation and this plantation mm. and this one and this one. And let me help you. And we're friends. We're good friends now. But he was accusatory. And so helping people understand and see yeah. each other. I see you. You see me. And I see someone who looks like you. Maybe I trust white people a little bit more. Because everything that mm. I was able to do in three years the majority of the help I got to do what I have now was from white people. Because that first picture, that's the part I <laughs> want to say, that first picture kind of stole my black card. Because people looked <laughs> at a picture and didn't read an article. They thought I was having a white appeasement festival. <laughs> and the, oh, the accusations, they I'm said sure. it. People actually said I'm sure. Yeah. You're selling out the white wow. people. And I'm like, well, you know, if you read the articles, I'm talking about predatory real estate. Hmm. And like, what do you what do you mean? I'm selling. I'm trying to help us. I'm trying to, but I couldn't. At right. a certain point, I give up. I gave up that argument. I got to defend. Of course. You you keep talking, and I'm gonna keep right. walking. You know what you're doing. Yeah, 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 yeah. I love that. So now you created a nonprofit. It has been birthed from this amazing movement. So what are your goals with this nonprofit? We do. We do have a nonprofit. I'm so excited. It's, it's funny. I guess this is the, the coming out party for the foundation. It's very interesting because I was kind of under wraps and I didn't want to talk about it because I was afraid. I was actually afraid. I didn't want to do anything wrong. More than I didn't want to mess up. But our foundation is called More Than a Walk. Um, Love it. And it's based on building community through history, the arts, and fitness because I'm an arts kid. I'm a graduate of National School of the Arts. But also I realized how healing arts are. Um, 
several people wrote songs about the walk, mm-hmm. so about the movement of 2020. So, so there's a place for, there should be a place to incubate freedom songs, or modern freedom songs, and be able to pay artists. There are a lot of artists who came to our walk who just came because they couldn't gig because there was nothing to do. Um, so there's the arts. Um, so helping artists create art to change the world. There's history. Um, what I learned about um, history is we're, there's a lot of stupid people in the world. But they're stupid because history has not been presented yes. um, as an applied science. I think history is an applied science and not necessarily a, um, a English class. It's usually taught as an English class, but it should be a science class. Because it actually has causes and effects. Hmm. If you pour vinegar and baking soda, it's going to explode. If you don't know your history, what's it going to do? Explode. Um, so you've got to know. So providing an opportunity to have like history dinners where people can come in. Um, I always think it's cool. Some Like John Meacham, President historian John Meacham is at Vanderbilt. Mm-hmm. How do we get people that look like me who might not have the money to go to a forum or a university symposium access to the historians who are around us. Yeah. Getting them lectures, but not lectures in a cool way. Sit, let's have a dinner together and let's talk. Let's ask questions. Let's learn together. And let's tear down biases and build community by learning together. Yeah. And fitness. I mean, it's the walks. We're gonna keep walking. I can't throw them away. But it's also more than that. So we do walks. There's also a a run club that meets the same day we walk a lot of times. And so a lot of times we take our group pictures together, we kick off the run together. I'm still not running with them, but you said I'm gonna keep walking. <laughs> I'm gonna keep walking. I tried. <laughs> no, nada. But that's what we're doing. We're building community through those, and it's so much fun. It's so um, fun. Like I, I'm lucky that I get to do this kind of work. Yeah, absolutely. And build community, like, and it's it's different. Like it, it's completely different. I don't know. I feel like sometimes I'm a mix between an activist and an entertainer. Mm. Not that I'm an entertainer, but that's what the 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 lane. I, I'm in a weird lane. Yeah, because I'm not, I, and it's really interesting because I can't. I feel like I can't go to protest. I want to go. The old me would be at the protest at the courthouse with the Tennessee Three. The new me can't necessarily do yeah, that. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I bet you I could go to Capitol Hill after the protest and have a conversation, which is necessary. Absolutely. Somebody's got to be able to go to the meeting. Mm-hmm. Somebody's got to go sit in the council meeting. Somebody's got to do that kind of work. And that's the work I like doing. Absolutely. And I'm able to because I'm prepared for mm-hmm. it. Absolutely. Well, I wouldn't even say that you're in a weird lane with the, the entertainer and the activist. I think you're in the right lane. And I think everything that you're doing is important. I'm proud of you just having met you. I think the work is great and I'm happy to support you. And I'm really glad that we were able to have this conversation so I could share with my listeners the great work that you're doing with your nonprofit and with your walks. Can you let them know where they can follow you and how they can find out if you're doing a walk in their city too? Um, so you can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at We Walk With Sean. Also, our website is wewalkwithshawn.org. And we try to, um, Instagram usually has the most updated information um, to let you know when we're doing a walk. I try to announce if I'm doing them in separate cities a couple of weeks out um, and let people know. But if you also, if anybody wants to invite us to walk, we only do walks if people invite us yeah. because we don't want to be bad neighbors. Um, so invite us. We'll come. Like, it's so much fun to do. I love it. Well, thank you so much for chatting with me. And I'm excited to thank see where this so leads much. you. Absolutely. Thank you so much for having me. Of course. You're wonderful.